the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in fantasy land. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. It's your triumphant return, Eno. We've missed you. You haven't been on the show in like like two months. Where have you been? Yeah, I went on a bender. <laughs> a Howard bender? <laughs> yeah, something like that. No, I, I, I went to Chicago for um, Pitchfork Music Festival. Uh, got to interview Tori Hunter and... Um, and uh, uh, Rick Porcello, I'm writing him up today, or Porcello, however you say it. I'm glad I didn't have to say his last name to his face. <laughs> hey, uh, Mr. Porcello, you are yeah. not getting an interview because that's not how you pronounce my last name. Right, exactly. And, uh, and then I, uh, I got to interview uh, Yellow Tango's uh, Ira Kaplan. So I was, it was like a lot of great beer because uh, my, my beer grass co-founder is out there. Uh, so there was a lot of great beer. Uh, Chicago's a great beer town. And uh, a lot of great music. Uh, Pitchfork Festival was great, and um, it was just uh, very exhausting. And I'm glad to be back and back in my uh, routine. It's it's kind of fun when you go away and then you come back and you're like, oh man, it's great. I love what I do on Thursday afternoons. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today on the podcast we'll be discussing the suddenly injury ravaged. Braves rotation, as well as one of the hottest hitters in July. But first off, I gotta make fun of the Giants, your hometown team, just a little bit. Uh, you know, we touched on Jeff Francoeur a couple of weeks ago when he actually signed on with the team, or he was traded. I don't even remember what it was. I think oh, he was released and then they signed him. And uh, Bruce Bochy said that he's going to be the regular left fielder going forward. And this is the money quote here: He's a proven major league hitter, and this offense needs help. Really? The guy has a 246 Woba this year, a 285 Woba last year, and this is a guy that you sign with the the thought process that he's going to help the offense. Seriously? Yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. But <clears throat> you know, just like a, a week or two before that, I I was talking to um, Hank Shulman, the beat writer for the Chronicle here, and they just called up Kensuke Tanaka. And he was telling me, I was like, oh, so he's going to play a little bit of infield, a little bit of outfield, because he was like a second baseman in Japan, shortstop. But his defense was pretty bad in the spring. So they, they shifted him to the outfield. And, and Shulman was telling me, oh, no, no, he's the starting left fielder. They need a starting left fielder. And, uh, you know, with Pagan out, they, they're shifting Blanco to, to, to center, and they don't really have a left fielder. So they tried Tanaka for a while, but Tanaka just, you know, has, he has no stick. He's like a, uh, he's got an idea of where the zone is, but he's got no power. And um, his, speed, his speed is a little bit more opportunistic than, ever, than anything. So I just don't see him as a major leaguer, um, like at all, really. Maybe, maybe like a backup infielder. I have so, an idea. I mean, if you don't have a major leaguer, then you get a bad major leaguer, I guess. <laughs> Why don't they give Aubrey Huff a call? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, has Brett Pill ever played the outfield? Yeah, he shouldn't be out there. <laughs> yeah, I think they, you know, Gary Brown is their biggest prospect. Um, I don't know. 
I, I figure I might as I would just run out to knock out there or something or, or platoon Tanaka and, and Frank Hoare, which I think there's some, a little bit of that going on, but um, they're not in a good spot right there with the, the outfield. All right. So let's get to our most interesting player alive today. And I want you to take a wild guess about who is the number one search for player on Fangraphs right now. It's a real doozy. I, I don't know if it's going to take you more than one guess to get it. Who do you think it is? Well, I mean, not looking. I'm not looking, and I sh- and but it, I'm not going to get it right, even though you think it's obvious. Uh, I mean, I'm going to guess Miguel Cabrera, but otherwise it'd be Tim Hudson. No, Tim Tim Hudson amazingly isn't even listed in the top ten. Number uh, one, no, number one is Yasiel Puig. Oh duh. He's been number one like every single day that we've had the podcast. <clears throat> oh, he's getting some walks. My God. That's the number one reason why. Obviously, everybody's checking his walk rate on the rise. <laughs> well, we actually have two Matts in the number two and number three hole on the most searched for list. Matt Harvey in number two. But we're going to talk about Matt Adams today, and he's the number three guy, who is a bit of a surprise because he's not a, a full-time player, obviously. But this is a guy who's very interesting because clearly he's a, a hitting machine. He's a big, big guy, and in, in limited time, obviously, he's come off the bench. He's pinch hit. But he's been awesome this year. 384 Woba, batting 307, seven home runs and 150 at bats. If you extrapolate that over 600 at bats, that's 28 home runs. He could be a monster given full time playing time, but obviously they have no room for him. Is he somebody that you think maybe the Cardinals will or should trade? No, actually, I've heard that um, he's going to be an everyday player next year. Uh, Beltron leaves. And uh, with Craig and Adams, they could uh, they could lock up uh, left field and, and first base. So uh, I think that might be the plan. I mean, you never know with them. They'll they'll spend money opportunistically. So if there's a corner outfielder that costs too little, then uh, they'll change their plans. But I think they really like Matt Adams, and I think they they want him to have a starting role next year. Is he a platoon player going forward? I mean, right now I'm looking at his career versus lefties. Only a 303 wOBA, but it's only 45 at bat. So I don't know what the thought in the organization is, if he's going to play every day against lefties or if he's going to get benched against all lefties or only against tough lefties. What do you think? I mean, in the short term, I think a lot of teams platoon their young guys just to give them the best looks they can and give them put them in a position to succeed, really. I haven't heard a platoon player as a, as a, as a knock on him that you know is going to stick his whole life, so... Um, you know, I, I, I don't think so. So I assume that if he does open the season next year as the assumed starting first baseman, he's going to be one of those guys that every single preseason magazine, every draft guide are going to tout him as a sleeper. And he's going to be one of those sleepers who isn't because he's going to get bit up in every league thinking, oh, he's a big time sleeper. And then the cost is going to rise and, and he's no longer a sleeper. You agree? Uh, might, might happen. Uh, I'm looking at his minor league splits just because we were talking about it. And, uh, he does, he, you know, he has a slight slugging percentage dip against, uh, lefties, but nothing I would, I would be worried about. I mean, yeah. And then you just know that like, there's still the specter of Oscar Tavares hanging over all this. So yeah, the, the Cardinals are really funny. They just, uh, they wait until the last possible moment to promote their star, to, to promote their uh, star prospects. They, they kind of do what they did with Adams, where they bring him up and play him a little bit. You're kind of seeing it with the Rangers and Profar, but 
is this idea that like they're going to be useful at different spots and they're going to break into the bigs, but they're not going to you know come up and just get all the playing time they want right away. So I keep telling people to be cautious on Oscar Tavares, but I think that probably applies to Matt Adams because you know if they still like Jay, then you know does Tavares take over for Beltran and then Adams is still a part-time player, or does Jay lose his job? I mean, there's uncertainty there. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at Adams's stats, and I thought he walked more than he actually has. His walk rates have actually been pretty disappointing, especially if he's going to be a first baseman. It makes me think that unless he has big-time power, he's actually not going to be all that great offensively as a first baseman relative to the rest of the league, you know, as a first baseman. Yeah, I mean, the the, the idea is that he's the, – the, the word I keep hearing is country strong or whatever – so I mean I guess uh, big, big, version 2.0, right? Big, big, powerful uh, first baseman. But uh, I mean I love him in the short term. I I've been picking him up in a lot of my deeper leagues in the short term at least. I mean he's he's playing right now because um, who's out? Uh, Beltran's out. Beltran? No, Beltran's. I think he maybe sat a game or two, but he's been playing. I mean, oh, Holiday, Holiday. Was Holiday's playing. out. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So that gives. Yeah, because I remember Alan. I think that gives him some short term. That gives him some short term run, and it gives us a little preview of next year with some playing time. Yeah, uh, just uh, another opportunity to increase his hype and make him completely overvalued next year. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move along to a tweet sent out last night by a very handsome and super intelligent man. This man tweeted out the following: "Mark my words, Brandon Beachy will be worthless in fantasy leagues this year." 13% walk percentage in AAA after returning from TJ surgery. Stay away. And this amazing tweet got six retweets and two favorites, which was the most retweets ever that this man has ever received, which was very exciting in this man's life. And, of course, that man is me. I'm not – obviously, as you know, I'm not the biggest tweeter. And so it's really sad that six retweets is my record. <laughs> At least non-sleeper in the bust tweets – so normal tweets, that's my record, and that's really sad. Well, well, not to big time you here, but I think I got something like uh, ten or eleven retweets on the time I farted in the in the uh, press box. <laughs> we but, uh, tweeted out that you farted in the tw- uh, the press box, and people retweeted that. Yes, they loved it. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, uh, obviously there's the the risk um, with Tommy John returners and, and control, um, and they say that control is the last thing to go. Um, but I, I wonder if you might be um, going down the small sample rabbit hole a little bit, uh, because or just trying to get retweets. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, how many batters did he face totally down in the minors? I, I'm trying to do a quick. I'm doing a quick math. It looks like 200. So he looked. He, he saw like less. He saw fewer than 200 batters. In the first 100 batters, he had. Uh, what looks like uh, mm, uh, nine, ten, eleven walks, and in the last hundred batters, he cut that down to seven. So I mean, I I feel like uh, he's uh, you know if you look at his last three starts in AAA, uh, he had one walk, two walks, and one walk, and uh, you just look at his career, uh, and he's had great control. So I mean, I they don't care. You know they need they need someone. That Hudson injury was terrible. Uh, Wood didn't look great today, um, so th- they need someone up there. Beach has shown he can do it. 
Um, I feel like uh, useless is going too far. Well, I would say context is uh, important here. And obviously in an NL-only league, he probably will provide some value. So I'm, I'm really talking about shallower leagues. But here's my concern, aside from the fact that he's returning from Tommy John and that usually affects control, is we don't really know, even when healthy, I'm still not sure exactly what Brandon Beachy is. Because in 2011, his strikeout rate was ridiculous and way above what anybody ever expected. He struck out nearly 29% of batters. His strikeout rate was 10.7 per nine. And, and that wasn't really backed up by his minor league track record, his stuff. I mean, he only throws 91, 92 miles per hour with his fastball. It's not something we normally would match up with a strikeout rate that high. But then 2012, his strikeout rate dropped all the way down to 7.6, 21% of the batters he faced. Now, whether his elbow had anything to do with that, we don't know. Usually it affects control and not necessarily strikeout or velocity. So that's a real concern. I mean, the fact is that his swinging strike rate dipped dramatically. The strikeout rate dipped dramatically. Who is the real Brandon Beachy? The 2012 version looks a lot more like the real one, given his stuff and his minor league track record. And, and he needed a whole heaping of luck to, obviously, anybody needs a whole heaping of luck to post a 2 ERA. His Sierra was 4.05. He's pretty much been a flyball pitcher. So even when healthy... I mean, I'm not really blown away by his skills to begin with. And now you add on the returning from Tommy John, and I just wouldn't touch him. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just think there's too many cake matchups. Uh, I would love to have him on my bench. I have him on a bunch of benches. I'm going to I'm gonna be very careful. I'm going to leave him on the DL as long as possible. Um, I'm going to uh, use him as a bench starter and not as a, as a guy that I'm going to put in there every day. Um, every for every start, um, but uh, he's going to be you know pitching in Miami. He's going to be pitching in Pittsburgh. He's going to be pitching in a lot of parks that are that are going to help him out. Um, you know, in, in 2011 he had 92 mile an hour gas. So, you know, in 2012 he had 91. Maybe there's a little bit of a velocity thing. Uh, he's he's a little funky. Maybe people will kind of figure him out. Uh, but. Uh, there's there's enough there to me. Like I like the fact that he doesn't throw the fastball a ton, so he's about a 60% fa- uh, fastball guy, and I like the fact that he throws a slider, a curve, and a change. Um, I know that an 8% swing strike rate is not great, but uh, he could succeed if he if he had the better control. He could succeed. I know there's that there's the, and then the controls a question. I just I'm interested because you know it's the NL. Uh, it's a new guy. Uh, pitch, people are looking for pitching. He has you know, at least he has the 2011 upside. Uh, so, you know, I, there's a lot, there's a lot of worse places to be looking for pitching right now, in my opinion. All right. Well, the Braves didn't only suffer through a Tim Hudson injury, who's out for the year with a fractured ankle, but also Paul Mahalam is on the DL with a wrist injury. And Alex Wood got a spot start today. We're not exactly sure when Mahalam is going to be back. So Alex Wood might find himself in the rotation for a couple of more weeks. Obviously, he wasn't very good today. But, I mean, is he a guy, even when Mahalam comes back, like I said, you know, obviously none of us are sure exactly what Brandon Beachy is going to give. So there's no guarantee he remains in the rotation. So it is possible that Alex Wood does get an extended look in the rotation, maybe if the Braves think that 
Beachy is just not ready, and he, they demote him back into the bullpen, and, and Wood takes his spot when Mahalam gets back. So the point being, Alex Wood has the chance to, to get a whole bunch more starts the rest of the year. And is he somebody that mixed leaguers should be looking into as a, a potential nice sleeper guy for the rest of the way? Yeah, I mean, whoever wins that battle is definitely very interesting to me. Um, Alex Wood is is actually just worth watching. I mean, some y'all should just go out there and watch him because he's got one of the weirdest deliveries I've ever seen. And uh, I'm, I actually think that it might help him because, I, well, for one, I think there's a deception. I mean, people who are trying to pick up his changeup, which is his best pitch, have no idea what's coming. Um, the, the other is just that it looks like he's going to just like blow up, like just go like every part of his body is going to go in different directions. Um, and he'll just like blow up, like explode. So, um, I think that's why people say that, uh, he's a reliever in the future, not necessarily his stuff because he has a three pitch mix, great swing strikes. Um, you know, he could definitely win the competition, but he also has, uh, innings problems. Uh, he only pitched 63 innings last year. Oh no, that's this year. He only pitched 52 and a half innings last year, so uh, don't ask me how he pitched a half inning. But anyway, uh, he uh, he he can't he can't be the guy for them all the way through the postseason and stuff. And he's going to be running up on innings limit really soon. So as much as I like him, I like him probably better than Beachy long term. And if he you know stays in one piece and doesn't explode on the mound, um, you know I like him. You know I like him as a dynasty keeper type acquisition, but. I don't think they can. you can count on him the rest of the season because of innings problems. <laughs> you talking about exploding on the mound reminds me of This is Spinal Tap. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be bad if Tim Hudson goes down because of the ankle, then all of a sudden Alex Wood spontaneously combusts on the mound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'll get a pitcher who goes to 11, and, and they'll never have to look back, and he'll be their savior. Yeah. Well, I mean... One of those guys, maybe. Yeah, well, I, I like Wood, too. I mean, he has good velocity for a lefty. He averaged 92 miles an hour in his last start, and he also gets a ton of ground balls. Right now, it's at 61%. So pretty good control, very good swinging strike rate, good velocity. I mean, this is basically everything that you can possibly look for in a pitcher, but the innings is a real problem. Uh, he's only had 105 minor league innings in his, his entire career, only five at AAA. So he seems pretty raw. And uh, obviously, they're going to cap him this year. So who knows when he's going to be able to really get stretched out and and pitch, you know, even 150 innings in a season. But he's definitely a guy to to watch with some intriguing uh, upside. All right, let's move along to some more closer talk. Francisco Rodriguez was finally traded, and unfortunately for his owners, he no longer is a closer. And uh, on Tuesday. Brewers manager Ron Renicki told reporters that Jim Henderson and John Axford will flip-flop as the team's closer for the time being. And, uh, of course, Jim Henderson got the first save yesterday. And also, when Francisco Rodriguez was you know, called up and Jim Henderson was on the DL, Francisco Rodriguez uh, was closing, then Jim Henderson came back. And at the time, Renicki said that Francisco Rodriguez is my closer tonight. But, you know, it'll be up in the air, maybe be Henderson, maybe Mike Gonzalez or, or Axford. And he completely ignored what he had said, and Francisco Rodriguez got every save since then. So is it just me, or should we take everything that Ron Renicki says with a grain of salt and just follow his actions? And his actions would indicate 
Jim Henderson is the closer. I mean, Axford had been the, like the seventh inning guy. Henderson has been setting up for K-Rod. K-Rod's gone now. It's Henderson who's the closer, right? Yeah, I mean, it, they're, they're – uh, I hope I don't get in trouble. I haven't done super but they're some of the biggest liars. <laughs> I mean, managers, uh, they really – We'll keep that out. Yeah, right. They uh, they just have these little pressers and they just talk and you know so many times you know like minutes later in the game action they're they're you're going against what they said so um, I, I I prefer to look at use and uh, I've had actually I've had I do a, a saves and steals article on Roto World and I've had Jim Henderson as the top dog in Milwaukee for three weeks because I'm like. K-Rod will get traded. K-Rod will get traded. I, it'll happen any day. <laughs> Finally vindicated. Well, actually, I, of course, this week I had to write, you know, sometimes you can outthink yourself because we've had Jim Anderson number one. And now that he finally is, I hope that none of you, uh, you know, passed on K-Rod the last three weeks. <laughs> hey, if you say it enough, eventually you'll be right. <laughs> yeah. Broken clocks and all that. You know, it is. I think what's interesting also is uh, K-Rod in, in, in Baltimore because – Jim Johnson's had two times this year where um, two separate periods where they've tried to, you know, the, the the town has been talking about whether he should be taken out of the role. So, you know, just in the past, you know, Tommy Hunter wasn't, Tommy Hunter's been great in the bullpen. He, you know, his velocity went up. He has like fastball curveball combo. He's really good. Um, he, I like him a lot as like a holds reliever. He's a SP, uh, starting pitcher eligible. He's really, really fun uh, piece in a lot of uh, different leagues. But, what I, I just thought that uh, you know now with K Rod, if that happens again, I feel like you know there is a chance that K Rod closes again. Yeah, I mean it's just funny with Jim Johnson because I mean his skills are are similar to what they've always been. He it just basically the only difference is that the ground balls are finding holes a lot more often than they did last year, and and that's what's going to happen with ground ball pitchers who are just not getting the defensive support that he got last year. So it's just silly. I mean that's what's going to happen. He was very lucky last year. He's a, uh, less lucky this year, but he's a he's a good enough pitcher that he should be able to hold the job all season long. Now, if those ground balls find holes in three consecutive games, well, I mean, to me, that's not bad pitching. Not enough so that he should be taken out of the the, the closer role. That's just it. Just so happens that it, it happens in consecutive outings. So I, I just think it would be silly if he lost the job, but. You never know with major league managers what they are going to do, and they can lose patience after three innings of, of a couple of runs. And, and so you're right. There's a non-zero possibility that K-Rod does you know, garner some saves over the rest of the season. Yeah, they, I mean, it's just the managers prefer uh, strikeout guys there. They just don't even want to put a guy on. You know, I mean, a lot of times it's nursing, you're nursing a two-run lead for, let's say, but if you put a guy on, all of a sudden you just keep facing the, the tying run of the plate. So. That's why you just want a guy that'll come in there. And I have a term called the Kimbrel, which is uh, three strikeouts, no walks, no base runners, and the save. How about the perfect? <laughs> yeah, right, the perfect. And, and the funny thing is, is that Jim Johnson actually throws harder than K-Rod. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that. I did notice that. But he just uh, he's chosen to go after the ground ball instead of the strikeouts. Yeah, he's a sinker guy like the Chimang Wong who'd rather just get the, the ground ball out than the uh, strikeout and uh, I mean it works for him it's good enough for him so might as well keep it's kind of funny you know Parnell is more like Jim Johnson than some people realize you know when I did the interview with Bobby Parnell he was talking about I'm a ground ball guy I'm a you know I'm a I'm everything low 
And if you look at him, he only has like a, about an eight per nine strikeout rate. So he's yeah, he can throw a hundred. Yeah, he can throw a hundred too. So crazy. It's kind of funny, but I would, you know, I think most Mets fans and and anybody who's watched Parnell would prefer this version of Parnell to the old version, the old version, because uh, Parnell would throw a hundred, but he didn't have a second pitch, and he kept trying to throw it by people, but they just kept timing the hundred and. Uh, now he's got a knuckle curve. He throws a split finger sometimes and just has a better approach at the plate. Um, and, uh, yeah, it might be a little bit more ground ball heavy, but he doesn't, you know, he hasn't given up a home run this year, um, which is kind of interesting. All right, let's move along to one of the hottest hitters in the month of July, and that's Jason Worth, batting 368 with seven home runs. He's been absolutely bonkers after coming off of the disabled list. And I believe you own him in our Tower Wars League, right? Yeah, I mean, for some reason, people dro- dropped him. I-, I couldn't figure that one out. I mean, yeah, he was hurt, but, you know, people get hurt. It's not – and, yeah, he's a little bit injury-prone, but, you know, when he's in, he's good. And a lot of our leagues have, have – uh, like, especially Tower, have just, like, huge DL, you know, spots. So, you know, I-, I-, I was like, yeah, sure, I'd love to have Jason Worth on my DL. And – uh I've I've been talking about how he should be picked up for a while, and I've got him like four or five times right now, and I'm happy with him. How much value does the beard add to Jason? <laughs> well, he, I'm not sure because uh, Reddick is not getting that value. It's funny because I actually love those beards, and I think it's freaking awesome. And when they're up at the plate, they look intimidating. They look like awesome players with that beard. Yeah, I was pointing out to someone that Reddick is a real small guy, and they couldn't believe me. I mean, he has like a big guy's beard, but Reddick is a is slight and and skinny and not not exactly tall. So it's kind of a funny thing. You know, I had no idea that Jason Worth is thirty four years old. Damn, that makes me feel old. Well, he, it took him a long time to get going. Yeah, he was a late bloomer. It's true. Yeah. yeah. But, but uh, I mean, I wouldn't believe his current batting average. But he's had he's had. You know, years where he hits 290, so, you know, it doesn't, you know, you never know with him. But uh, usually he strikes out a little bit more and is more like a 260, 270 hitter. But he has power. He's not going to steal like he used to, but, uh, you know, he can steal bases too. So I I like him. Yeah, you know, I don't think that his batting average is at at a line. I mean, his BABIP is 333 versus a career 328. Swinging strike rate is really good, 7.7%, well below the league average well better than league average below because it's 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 worse than that you know solid contact percentage so i think I just, that's really you know he has he used to have a strikeout problem i should be more clear but it, it comes up sometimes you just look at uh, 2011 he struck out almost a quarter of the time and hit 230 with a 290 babbit so um you know i feel like it de- there definitely is uh, it, there's that risk. It's not necessarily true that it's, he's going you know, to do it. But, I mean, you look at his projections going forward. They they call for about a 270 batting average and, and a few more strikeouts. So there's that risk. But it's not a big risk. I mean, right now the league batting average is like 250. So if he's going to hit 265, 270, he's still going to be above average in that category while being helpful in, in homers. And, you know, he won't hurt you in steals. So he's a perfect guy that, you know, people that need outfield help to pick up and I think you know you might even be able to trade for him at non-full price because somebody else just picked him up and feels like yeah it's found money yeah okay I'll trade him for your you know pitcher that might be overvalued or whatever yeah they think you're selling high yeah exactly whereas I think he can do this as long as he stays healthy I think he can do this the rest of the way 
Yeah, and he even has some nice value in OBP leagues, which Tau Wars is. His walk rate right now is actually near a career low. He's been above 11% every year from 2005 to 2012. So you have to assume that that walk rate is going to be get picked up a bit over the rest of the season. And that on-base percentage is going to jump above 370, which is real nice. So, I mean, that's a, a real nice guy who probably isn't valued properly in OBP leagues. And also, if you look at his average distance, uh, fly balls and home runs, it's at 295 feet, which is real good. And it makes his current 19.5% home run per fly ball rate pretty legit. I mean, he's done that before. He's had years at 19%, 21%, 18%, and 20%. And so, I mean, this isn't crazy or out of the ordinary. Obviously, it's a bit of a surprise after last year he only hit five home runs. And in 2011, he was at 20 home runs. But he's been, you know, banged up during his career. And so you have to assume that he's probably fully healthy right now. And uh, he, last year, he was only at 270 feet. So clearly, I mean, that's a humongous jump, 25 feet more. So clearly, he's feeling a lot better this year. And, and it doesn't seem to be a fluke. So I think that you can pretty much count on this level of performance for the most part over the remainder of the year. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I mean, I, and I also like beards. Uh, that's great. Mustaches, beards, any facial hair. And you know what? I really wish that we had a family picture of all of us in Phoenix because the facial hair there in March was insane. <laughs> Although I do know that women don't necessarily appreciate facial hair as much as men do on each other. <laughs> we don't have to kiss it. <laughs> That's fine. I, I'm, I'm still curious how many women actually read fan graphs. It would be interesting to get some demographic information about our readership in terms of male-female breakdown. Yeah. Well, not it's not 100% male, but uh, might be close. <laughs> All right, let's move along to uh, a hot pitcher, a youngster. That's Chris Archer. He's only allowed more than three runs only once all season, and that was in his first start in June when he allowed five. Only one run over the last three starts, and currently posting a 2.76 ERA and a 1.18 whip. And this guy was a big-time sleeper in the preseason. Obviously, he did not win a rotation spot, and he's been in the minor leagues most of the year. But he now has an opportunity, Alex Cobb on the DL. And, uh, I mean, is he a guy that you're counting on to continue up uh, a real strong level of performance, or do you see a big fall-off uh, for the rest of the year? Well, um, I don't know. I, uh, well, thanks I, I, for I, great analysis. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we pay you the big bucks. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like uh, there's uh, the one thing that's that's that I don't like is that he that I don't always like his changeup, and he has great velocity and the slider is off, obviously a good pitch. It's a really good pitch, but th we know that fastball slider guys, unless they, you know, maybe use a two seamer or sinker. Masterson's kind of doing the sinker slider thing, uh, but Garrett we know that Richards. Yeah, Richards, Eovaldi. Yeah. We know that all these guys are in that's that's one class of pitcher. And and even if you like Masterson this year, you have to admit that he's not um he doesn't have the upside of a number one number number one, number two, number three type of guy. He's a he's a guy that maybe you use when he's going good. But uh Archer, 
you know, most people feel like he has the upside of front of rotation stuff. And when you watch him with the fastball and slider and you watch him face a righty, he looks great. But, um, you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of a problem with the slide, with the changeup. Sometimes it looks good enough, good enough, or or even good to 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 make him a legit pitcher. And sometimes it, it looks just like a flat slow pitch. So, I that I just wanted to introduce that doubt. Otherwise, I will say I you know I'd rather start with velocity and one plus plus pitch, and then you know really hope that they they develop another one rather than just sort of a an amalgamation of of okay pitches. Yeah, and that's actually kind of what I concluded with Garrett Richards, who I published a story on this morning, also a fastball slider guy. And just like Richards, Archer's fastball velocity of 95 miles an hour doesn't match up with his strikeout rate. I mean, he's only striking out 17% of the batters he's faced. His swinging strike rate is only 8%. And his minor league strikeout numbers also, you know, were solid at times, but not as consistently good as you might expect from somebody with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and a really good slider. So it's odd that it's not happening. And for a guy who's basically had awful control throughout his entire minor league career, that's a major concern. It's true. And I also wonder if, you know, given that most relievers use a fastball slider uh, and, you know, the fastball and the slider are the most common pitches in baseball, I wonder if, you know, he just doesn't have something that looks different enough to, to people, you know? You know? There's this whole idea that a hitter can spot the dot, which is the, the slider when it, when it, when it, uh, when it comes in, it, 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 it comes in a rotation that produces a dot on the baseball. So, you know, even if the slider itself is filthy and, and the fastball is, is, is up there, maybe he doesn't have a pitch where they're like, oh, they're like fastball, slider, fastball, slider. Maybe they're not going to swing at the slider. You know, maybe they're just waiting for the fastball. So, um, <clears throat> I, yeah, there's definitely a lot of doubt. I like I like picking him up. You know, I like you know if he's out there and you need pitching, definitely think about it. I would also I'd pitch him at home. Um, you know, just because Tampa Bay is nice for homers, um, and I would uh, I probably hold him in my pocket against teams like Boston. Yeah, I think he's facing Boston actually this week. Uh, I own him in labor mixed 15-team league, and I'm actually looking to potentially sell high. I mean, the guy right now, 276 ERA. His Sierra, though, is at 467. So if you guys recall me doing that article a couple of months ago on Matt Moore calling him the sell highest pitcher, which at the time was the right call. I mean, he got bombed over the next uh, couple of starts, and, and that now he's back to normal. Uh, Chris Archer is, is the next raise pitcher that is – you know, posting results well above what he should be based on his peripherals. So I'm sure there's got to be somebody in your league who's really buying into Archer. He was a big-time sleeper. He's outwardly got the stuff. He throws hard. So there's got to be people who really like him. And given that ERA, I think that it might attract a really nice uh, trade offer if you dangle him out there. Now, of course, I'm only talking about single-season leagues. Keeper leagues are a completely different animal. And, and he's a guy whose future I do believe in, but I, I do like him long term. But right now, you might be able to get much more value than he's going to give to you if you hold on to him. So my personal call, try to sell high. All right, speaking of sell high pitchers, what about Miguel Gonzalez? I mean, he's a guy who I've basically left off of my AL starting pitcher rankings. 
Uh, I don't know if I left him off the last rankings, but I know I had in previous months because I just didn't think this guy was any good at all. And yet here he is again, 334 ERA after a 325 last year in about half of the season. So he seems to me making me look silly. I, does he have any chance of keeping it up and, and continuing to defy all the ERA estimators? Well, I, actually, in preparation for this, I just called up a, a start because I've seen him pitch and I was not at all impressed. I left him off my rankings on purpose. Uh, I've been waiting for him to explode, implode, whatever, implode. And um, uh, he has, it hasn't come yet, so I thought, okay, well, I better better check this out again. And I, I just watched sort of a condensed version of a start of his, you know, that he won 7 to nothing by blanking Texas. It was like, I think it was his last start. I haven't, I haven't been impressed by single pitch. It's so weird. He's 92. The, the fastball doesn't have uh, significant movement. Uh, I don't think I saw a two-seamer, so he's not throwing, like, crazy fastballs bending in different directions. Uh, you know, average stuff. And then he has a split finger. And, you know, split fingers, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a split finger as sort of average as his. I mean... Split finger is like, if you think of the split finger, you think of like Samarja. Kuroda. Huh? Kuroda, yeah, yeah. Iwakuma. These guys, their split fingers just seem to drop off the table and are crazy. His is, um, his kind of looks like a straight change. It just looks like a, like a change up. Um, so, you know, maybe it is enough. He does have a, he has a mix. You know, he has, he has, he has three pitches or four pitches. Um, but, I tell you, I don't see it. I don't, I, you know, there's no, and, and, and I think that actually goes to like his peripherals too. I mean, maybe he's the kind of guy that he's just okay at everything. And that, you know, like Wade Miley last year sort of comes to mind where he just, he's like, okay, he's got a few strikes and, you know, a little bit better than average control and isn't terrible at ground balls. You know, maybe that's how it works, but I don't think it usually works that way. I mean, I, I usually want, like I said with Archer, I want, I want to stand out. I want an out pitch, you know, and I don't necessarily think that this this split finger is an out pitch and it's definitely not his fastball. So I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Yeah. You, I mean, you said it exactly. He screams out to me, meh, fine, average. I mean, everything about him looks average, you know, just about average swinging strike, average first strike percentage, average fastball velocity. Average strikeout rate, average walk rate, a little below average ground ball rate. I mean, this is a guy that just screams out. He's just an, a league average pitcher. He's pitching in the American League East in a hitter's ballpark. So it just it's shocking to me. I mean, even his batted ball profile doesn't really scream out uh, a really low bad bit. I mean, it's 257 this year. It was 260 last year. And, and that's, I think, the primary reason why he's been outperforming his ERA estimators. And all those fewer hits are also jacking up his left on base percentage, which has been near 80% the last two years. So, I mean, something's got to give. And uh, both projected ERAs over the rest of the year, Zips 459, Steamer 438. So, I mean, I still don't want him in any leagues. And if somebody is starting to believe, along with Chris Archer, yeah, trade him away. Now, I'd, I'd rather have Chris Archer for the rest of the season than Miguel Gonzalez. Yeah. I mean, at least he's got that velocity, that slider, and, and you know, the changeup could work out. I just don't – and then you look at his line and, like, he, he, it's just like the really low Babbitt for the last two years, which people might say, well, he's had the low Babbitt for 200 innings now. That's 200 innings over two years. That's not even – I don't think that, that 
that doesn't even reach the threshold for BABIP anyway, which is like two or three seasons. So yeah, That's one season. That's any time we look back at the previous season and we call out a pitcher as being lucky because of their BABIP, this just happens to come divided over. Right, exactly. And so you just, I mean, just look at Wade Miley's season last year and his season this year. And I think that'll, that'll sort of help a little bit. And then, then, you, then you even look at Gonzalez. Even given all of this, he still has a homer problem, kind of. And it's not a home run for a fly ball thing. He's got, you know, basically league average home run for a fly ball. It's just that he's a fly ball pitcher and he pitches in Baltimore. So he's going to give up more than a homer per game. Um, you know, his control is good, but it's not elite. And uh, there's nothing to hang your hat on. I just, uh, and even watching him, you know, maybe maybe the split, maybe I'm underrating the split finger, but I, I wasn't that into it. He's getting a bunch more pop-ups in the league average, but I think it's the only positive thing that I can say. And again, it's it's just not enough to really stand behind that BABIP. So we got to assume some major regression coming for the rest of the way. And both of us agree that you guys should stay away. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun. I'm sorry, not Thursday. Today is Thursday. Join us on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Powerhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.